On this episode, VaynerMedia employees visit me. You ask questions and I answer them. This is the Ask Gary V Show. Everybody, this is Gary Vay, Nerdchuck, and welcome to the Ask Gary V Show, episode number 39. Fun fact about the number 39, I turn 39 in 10 days. This is a very, very special episode of the Ask Gary V Show because it's the VaynerMedia edition where employees, show them DRock, from VaynerMedia will ask me questions live on this show. One videotaped from San Francisco, none from LA because Stunwin says they were all crap. All right, we're getting right into the first question. Why don't you tell the Vayner Nation who you are and what you do here? Hey, Vayner Nation. My name is Glenn Landauer. Uh, I actually just started at uh, VaynerMedia yesterday, so I'm on day number two. I'm a noob. <laughs> noob. <laughs> I, I, I'm impressed with the hustle, though. Like sneaking in to the first episode of questions on your second day—that's uh, an impressive start. Trying to make an f- impression on the boss. I I appreciate it. All right, what's your question? Okay, so my question is: So you know how Facebook reach has been going down? It's been on organic. Talking. Um, yep, and it's at the lowest levels we've ever seen. Yep. So I'm curious, what do you think is the role of organic or unpaid content within a brand's always-on strategy? Um, and the second within, part the, within a Facebook world? Within the Facebook world, and the second part of the question is just how much reach is enough to actually justify the time, effort, and resources that go into producing these assets? That's a great question, man. Nice start. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that. It all depends on size, scale, and objective, right? So I think the biggest problem that everybody makes is there's no one size that fits all. Obviously, the brands that we work with here are at huge scale versus, let's say, a lot of people who are watching who have got a small business. You know, we we manage some brand pages that I can think of right now that are so large in overall size and have done a good job putting out great content that they're still getting hundreds of thousands of impressions organically without paid upfront. Now obviously all of you have heard me ranting about dark posts um, for quite a bit. We even talked about this when you were interviewing. So for me, you know, do I feel that Facebook has evolved into a place that you want to look at 80, 90, even 100% of your posts are being pre-planned to its audience and then paid up front. You know, if you're a Fortune 500 company, I do believe that that justifies the case. And I believe that because I actually think those working media dollars, those paid dollars, are a hell of a lot better spent on Facebook than they are on traditional banner or things of that nature. Places and organizations that you came from giving those kind of advices. So, I think that, I think that that's the case. Now, What's the threshold? I think that comes down to the objective at hand. Look, you could be a Fortune 500 company, only reach 1,600 people organically, but try to be selling something that's $10,000 as a B2B product, and if you convert four people, and you're making $40,000 on it, and your profit margin is 50%, and you've made 20,000 in profit, and your agency charged you $800 or $1,800, well then you justify the means. So I think it's you know one of the biggest things we try to do here, and I think one thing that all of you need to pay attention to is, how do you become efficient on the back end? I think what's separating us and what I'm excited about here is that we're producing quality content at a cost level that the market has never seen before, right? Yep. And that's our advantage, right? That for you yeah. with fresh eyes is probably the difference that you're seeing. Yeah. That's what you guys have to think about. For a lot of entrepreneurs that are watching, and I know that's a core of my audience, is is your time worth it? Because it's not a money game, it's a time game. So it's always resources. To me, there is no one size fits all. 
for all the brand managers and the CMOs and CFOs and the corporates that are watching the show or listening to the show, I know for fact that they need to really look at just the math, right? Like am I paying more than what I'm reaching, right? So if you're paying a traditional digital video shop $10,000 to make a video and then you post it organically and it reaches 900 people, that's off, right? Um, So I I just think that you have to look at it case by case. Yeah, makes sense, thank you. Thanks brother, welcome. Thank you. Next. I'm number three. I don't care. Okay. I'm, changing, I'm changing the rules. That's Sorry, fine. Stunlin. Always changing the rules. Um, so my question for you. What? What? Okay. Hi. Hi, Gary. Hi. I'm Emily. I nice know. You, I know. <laughs> Not for me. For them, Em. For you. For them, Em. I'm Emily McDonough. I work in HR, Gary's team. How long have you been a Vayner? About three and a half years, and I've had some different roles in the building. Oh, gee. So, Real opposite. Yeah, Play there. OG. Okay. <laughs> See? My, my, my order was better. Okay. For the story of OG, <laughs> so newbie. Thank you. <laughs> so legend has it that on your first date with your wife, you told her that you were going to marry her. And so it's I, not exactly true, but I'll get into the I details. I want to hear that story. Yes. And then I also want to know what dating advice you have for women in their 20s in New York City. <laughs> oh, God, this is great. You've never talked about this. Listen, you're, you're absolutely right. I've never talked about this. Um, so the legend is, and it's true, that after Lizzie and I's first date, which, a, which a, was a three-hour date on a Sunday night in New York City, which, little fun fact, the Jets happened to win that Sunday, and had they lost, the date would have not happened. So that just, canceled? you know, it's, I would have canceled. Because yes. you would have been upset? Was a, okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, <laughs> it went extremely well. I lived in Jersey by the Wine Library. She lived on the Upper East Side. I drove her home, and wow. I dropped her off, and... Two minutes after I dropped her off, I called her on her cell phone. She wasn't even in her apartment. And my opening line was, can you believe this is it? And that was it. And we talked from that moment all the way to my 45 minute drive home and until like four o'clock in the morning. And we were married within the year of our first date. So that's the legend of that story. Little tears from the ladies in the audience. I love it. Uh, (laughs) Advice. You know, so I, you know, I think about, you know, it's really funny. Having a daughter it changes so much in a man's life, I think. And so, though I know she's going to grow up in a very different world, I sometimes project what, and, and having so many amazing 20-year-old girls that work at VaynerMedia, it's an interesting thing. Look, I think we're living through a really interesting time, right? For example, um, girls are, are always in a place where they're judged by other girls. Mm-hmm. That's the psychology that is most fascinating to me, that what would women do in a world where that wasn't such an overwhelming kind of pillar to the way they have to navigate through their lives? You know, even look at like how girls dress on Halloween and like watching all the comments on Instagram because it is, these are kind of things I look into. I would say this, I would, I'm gonna give advice the way I kind of like, like to give business advice, which is think about legacy, meaning, I think the world's changing quite a bit, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of talk about women in the workplace and and the lean-in movement and all these things. Women are clearly closing the gap. You know, the world's changing so much, especially within the context of the US, that I would be more aggressive, believe it or not. That would be my advice. And I know it's a little bit of a kind of a left turn and maybe it's a guy giving advice to a, a girl. But like, for me, I think it's never been more appropriate to be on the offense in a, you know, because of just what's going on in the world. And so I think, you know, I think that women are in a much better place than they were 20 or 30 or 40 years ago to like say, I'm attracted or intrigued by that gentleman and go on the offense. You got it, Alex. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's what I would say. I'm like, I think, I think, I think 
one of the biggest mistakes guys and girls make is they're just scared to go in for the move because they want to protect and hedge against their feelings. And I will tell you this, your feelings could hurt for a little bit, but the long-term regret, the amount of people who are watching this right now, maybe even in this room, that are sad, men and women, that they didn't go for it and didn't make the move and didn't try, that regret is a hell of a lot longer and more painful and more drawn out than the instant rejection of going for it. And so I would say a little bit more aggression. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Let's move on. James Speck. What's up, Gary? What's up, brother? Why don't you tell the uh, Vayner Nation who you are? I'm you Jim Spector, uh, senior copywriter for VaynerMedia. I've been here about two years, a little over now. Jim? Is that what you said? James. Okay. No, I don't go by Jim. I thought you said Jim, and I like freaked out. I'm like, is this something? <laughs> it's it's like, a new James, and you know, going into good. 2015. Good. Scared. I didn't hear you. <laughs> so, <laughs> my question is this: uh, When it comes to new platforms, emerging tech, you've always promoted the idea of being a first mover. Yes. Uh, most brands, some brands, are usually very receptive to that. When it comes to campaigns, though, some brands uh, tend to focus on the idea of ownability. My question is this. Ownability is like, we need to dominate this platform? Or in terms of a campaign, when is that, you know, how ownable is that campaign to, you know, said brand? My question is this. When does it become, at what point, a campaign ownable by being the first brand to do something, as in being the first mover to do that type of campaign? You know, I think we've seen it in our space, right? Oreo kind of took control of like the real-time content and people keep bringing it up over and over and here I am two years later bringing it up. And so I think you can get first mover advantage um, in, in that way. Uh, listen, and uh, this is gonna get me in trouble. I mean, I think that's a bunch of marketing bull talk. I, when brands think they can own something, it just speaks to their naivete of the heavy fragmentation of the world we now live in, right? You can own something for a moment, but to like own it, like there's no brand that's gonna own, what brand owns what, right? Like I guess over 30 years of iconic marketing, Nike could own the sports space, but do they? Because last time I checked, Under Armour is growing very quickly and a million of other things are happening in a world of SoulCycle and CrossFit and like, there is no ownable. This is the naivete, the audacity, and just like the lack of contextual understanding that brand managers and CMOs in corporate America think that they have the right to be able to own these things. I think here's what you need to do as a brand from an ownable standpoint. Can you at this moment own it, that it matters enough to your customer to make them buy your shit, mm-hmm. right? And that, like that's all you could ever ask for. And I think people are way too romantic in marketing and thinking that they're gonna create the Just Do It or the MasterCard Priceless and it's gonna be this thing that they can put on their resume and kind of can live off of for the rest of their lives. To me, it's much more about fragmentation. It's much more about being great at your last at bat every time. You're, you know, I always say, you're only as good as your last at bat, mm-hmm. right? This show's doing well. If this episode sucks crap, it's heading in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And all 38 before it mean nothing as I go forward. And so I think that's how marketers need to think about that, which is do the best you can for what you need to do at that moment on the platforms that you decide to story tell that actually drive business results, not this romantic feeling of like, let's own it, marketing 360, fully integrated. I mean, like all this jargon. Jargon, James. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. But don't say that to the client. Obviously. Just not. kidding. <laughs> say it. All right. Oh, video question time? All right. Hey, Gary. It's Amy from San Francisco. Amy. My question is the following. What's the most important thing you've learned while growing your company at VaynerMedia from East Coast to West Coast? And how does a company successfully scale? 
You know, thanks, Aim. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, it's funny. I never opened a second wine library, so opening a second office in San Francisco and a third in LA has been a new phenomenon for me. And quite honestly, there's challenges in it. You know, obviously, you, you, I want to be everywhere, right? And and that that matters so much. But look, even at VaynerMedia, I'm not sure the last time I was on the 15th floor. Everybody's asking for an episode of the 15th floor. I don't remember. I haven't been on the 15th floor in a week, in a month. Excuse me. Like it's 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 a challenge when you're one human being. And so for me, so much of it is high touch and kind of the way I want to scale. You know, Amy, to answer your second part, how do you scale a company? It's, I actually think you scale a company by doing unscalable things. Because I really believe you have to know your business. So at Wine Library, I didn't need a lot of people and it was about selling wine. Thus, it was a different company. Here, we sell people. We sell our hours against the scope and our thinking. And so all I've got is people. And so for me, scaling this company has been doing everything that's unscalable, which is sitting down and mentoring one by one and spending as much time as I can and trying to empower people to feel comfortable with coming to me. Now starting to build out an HR department after a nine month search, finding Mini and saying, okay, this is a person I'm willing to build and think has the natural nuances to build the culture and the HR and EQ that I want for this organization. And then having people that have been with you for three and a half years, you can show Emily again, so you can wave. And so, you know, moving her into the HR department as you just heard earlier, so Amy, for me, scaling this company because I know, look, everybody who has a business has to understand what business they're building and no matter what you do, it's always about people. When you're an agency or client services, it's extreme people, which is so, the way for me to really scale it has been deeply entrenching myself into the people that work with me, for me, alongside me and that's very important to me. Um, the West Coast offices dynamic, you know, you know, Alina, if you're watching, more Skype sessions. You know how I feel about that. It's just, it's more communication. Communication is the backbone of this whole execution. And so, um, more time, more physical time, something Lizzie and I are speaking about of how much time I'm gonna spend on the West Coast in 15 and 16 is a big commitment to me. So, um, just uh, hacking, hacking away at the thing that matters the most, which is, do I have a relationship with all 400 people? And when it's 4,000 people, do I have a relationship with all 4,000 people? And I understand the cynicism that one could have listening to that answer of like, how could you possibly have that? And the way you have it is by having a relationship with the first 40 people and then having it with the next 400 people. Because the stunning amount of some of the people in this room and outside this room and in San Francisco and LA, stunning amount of people that now help me scale because when somebody's struggling or screw this place or I don't believe Gary, they're quick to jump in and tell 400 stories about why it's the other way which then gives that person the ammo to maybe jump in and relook at the situation a different way. And that can, you know, I always say the truth is undefeated, right? And so, you know, for me, scaling it is by, is by delivering for your teammates. Good, how are you? Tell the Vayner Nation. Hello Vayner Nation, I'm Alex Davis. I work on new business and all things. Uh, I'm an account director here. I've been here about, I don't know, eight months now. Feels like a year almost. I'm really excited for my Vayner-versary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask a question which I think is gonna help some of the entrepreneur viewers but also just the future leaders at VaynerMedia. When you're transitioning from that doer to uh, a leader, knowing what your priorities are and where to put your focus so that it counts. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I can. And you know, this is something I have a lot of. And, and to put a little more color for everybody listening, at Vayner and a lot of other places, you get into a place where, I think you said it right, right? You're in execution mode and then all of a sudden you're managing a team and those are two very different things. And it's the thing that I most fear in the organization, period, end of story, because you have incredible executors who, who yearn for the financial upside and the, and the title to then lead a team, and boy, are those two very, 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 very different skill sets. And so, I think the biggest thing that people struggle with, there's so many things people struggle with with the transition, number one, the thing I hate more than anything in the world, which is micromanagement. Yeah. I want to kick micromanagement in the face. I hate it. And you know, it's something I just despise and it's a major struggle because if you're a great executor, you know how to cross those T's and dot those I's and it, you know, when you see the person on your team who's not as strong at executing, you can't help it, right? It goes against the grain. So that's number one thing. Facing yourself in the mirror and understanding and you know, and I've talked to you about this and I've talked to so many leaders in this company about this and this is where people get pissed at me. Most things don't matter. And that's a very tough mental transition to somebody that manages a team. The other thing that a lot of people struggle with, and I I talk about this quite a bit in the organization as well, is when you're a leader, you have to be the bigger man and woman in every situation. And a lot of times people, especially when they make that first transition and it's the first time they're the leader, they look at it wrongfully because of society as I'm the boss and they try to impose their will instead of what I think the real skill set is, which has become a full-time listener, a full-time empowerer, a full-time eat crap and have humility and empathy and self-awareness. and So you go from what I believe is IQ to EQ and a lot of people can't make that transition. I think the reason this organization has grown so much is that's all I focus on when that transition happens and don't try to put pressure on people for new business and client services and all the normal things one has to worry about. Now I'm the leader, now this client has to respect me, I need to make Steve happy, I don't care about that. I can take care of that at the highest levels. It's about really empowering people to become leaders and leaders, you know, I love this. I mean, this is obviously a subject matter I love. We talked about it even in yesterday's episode. It takes so much more motherly historically stereotypical motherly skills to be a leader and I think people are confused. I think by default people think it's fatherly stuff and I think it's motherly stuff. It's emotional skills that allow somebody to make that transition and really one of the biggest factors in this whole thing is self-esteem. You know, if you're not able to believe in yourself, nobody else is gonna believe in you and so I think one of the things is, look, I got fortunate. I got a mother that instilled so much self-esteem in me that I'm still trying to get some of it out of me so that I don't come across as like an egotistical craphead. Um, But I think a lot of people don't have that and a lot of people in my family don't have that and I see it and one of the weird little tidbits that I think can make this episode valuable is If you get into a leadership spot and if you're self-aware enough to know that your mom or dad put you down your whole life or society did or you you grew up as a minority or whatever took self-esteem out of your body or if it was never instilled in the first place, I think you need to find an outlet to create it. I, I think you need to find an outlet to create it. I think one of the things that I focus on here is I instill it, you know, I instill it. I, I do talk 90% of the time about the positives. I just can't help it. I'm optimistic and I just see it. I do see the good. It's what I do. There's always bad, um, but I think you need to seek it out and, and that may come in the form of 
extracurricular activities. You might be a great soccer player or an improv actor or maybe the person you date. Maybe you look for somebody who you know instills that. I think that's a very attractive characteristic. I can tell you the reason I married Lizzie so quickly was because she was my mom and so I like coming home and having a cheerleader. Like you're great, I love that. I want that. And so I think that those are the things that come top to mind. Thanks Gary. Awesome. Guys, thanks for watching this episode. I like this, this was fun. Very human. Question of the day. How bad do you want to work at VaynerMedia? You keep asking questions, I'll keep trying to answer them. Do you want the other side because your hair is so awesome? Oh, <laughs> to, oh no, which side is gonna... switch. No, this one's, it's good. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you though. <laughs> you ready? Um, yeah. Oh crap, wait, subscribe! I need subscriptions because I can't push this many right hooks in social, so subscribe!